Welcome to MuggleCast episode 380. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. Uh, Micah. Micah, we missed you. Welcome back, Micah. Thank you. Micah back and bomb. He's back, y'all. And bomb. <laughs> <laughs> and another year older. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you, Andrew. What'd you do? Uh, low key, you know, as, as I think most people, as you get older, unless they're sort of those milestones, you, uh, you kind of just keep it low key. Yeah, that's true. Plus you were traveling a lot, so you just wanted a night in. Am I right? I'm right. Yeah, you are right. I was, uh, (laughs) I was in Orlando for 10 days, uh, working and, uh, it was a great time, but Orlando, as many of us know, in the summertime in August is a uh, a cool uh, 90 plus degrees, if not more than that, with the humidity. So um, yeah. I'm happy to be back in New York today. It's a little bit uh, cooler here. It's like in the 70s and nice and breezy. So I'm happy to be back. I'm happy Good. to be back on the show too. I saw you named an episode after me. Um, <laughs> talking did you about, listen to it? I did. I've listened to about probably 30 minutes or so of it. Uh, okay. You're wondering what my voice sounded like when I was younger. Yes. Did we get it right? Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> I'd have to go back and, you know, look at some home videos and uh Yeah. And see. I was just gonna say, let's let's dig out some old home videos so we can get the truth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well that's that's uh that's good. Glad you had a, a peaceful birthday and we're glad to have you back. Thanks. And we have somebody new on the show this week, although I think you did make a cameo. Kendra, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, she uh, writes for Hypable. We've been friends for a long time. Kendra put together the Never Sever Us book for me. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> oh, that old thing. <laughs> My secret Santa gift. Yeah, it was like the best gift I've ever received. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, and I, I we, we wanted to have you on because um i know you know your harry potter you write some harry potter stuff for hypable you know your stuff and we hadn't had you on for a full episode before so welcome to the show how long have you been a harry potter fan uh i think i started my grade three teacher i think started reading the books to us so i had received chamber of secrets as a christmas gift Mm. the year prior and i didn't read it Hmm. And then she started reading them to us in class, and then I was hooked. So you received the second book in the series? Why didn't that person buy you the first book? Uh, well, love to ask Santa Claus that, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Santa, so, so don't you know? His mistake. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and w- so what is your favorite book and movie? My favorite book... Uh, probably Deathly Hallows, just because it ties everything together. But up until Deathly Hallows, it was always... Prisoner of Azkaban because of the Marauders and stuff. And the movies, mm. I always really like the even-numbered ones for some reason. So two, four, six, and eight. So Half-Blood Prince, <laughs> the book we're talking about now, is one of my favorites. Oh, That's good. the Star Trek rule. That's the even-numbered ones yeah. are the better ones. <laughs> I was just thinking maybe you have a thing for even numbers, but no. it's just a coincidence? No, they just, I like them better for some reason. Oh, okay. Two, four, six, eight. What do we appreciate? Those <laughs> Harry Potter books. Anyway, we have a lot to get to today. Since we were off for a couple of weeks, we have some fantastic beast news to catch up on. There's one new beast, maybe two beasts, if you count a baby, baby version of a Niffler as a new beast. And Eddie Redmayne has made some interesting comments. And then, as Kendra said, we're going to get into Half-Blood Prince Chapter 3 today. Finally, we return to... Harry's point of view. Yeah. 
But first, <laughs> Eric's bolding it. I didn't miss it. I was just previewing what's <laughs> coming great. up. Eric, Eric, you were at LeakyCon. How I did was. That go? I want to thank everybody for coming out to see us at Leaky or me at LeakyCon. Um, it was uh, a really good time, actually. Quite a an interesting convention. Ninety five percent of the people who were there, it was their first Harry Potter convention. And let me tell you, in these panels that I uh, witnessed, that I was on, uh, viewing discussion, people were really, really excited to participate. It was so fresh and new to everybody. I mean, these are, you know, these Harry Potter fans, they came dressed to the nines and robes and everything, but they had just not done conventions before. And I think it was, maybe it was the fact that this convention was in Texas, in the middle of the largest state uh, besides California. And, you know, all these people had had uh, simply you know, it was easier for them to get here, but I just met a ton of new Harry Potter fans and the discussions that were had were some of the best that we've ever done. So I think that, you know, really, really turned out. And, um, that reminds me the panel, one of my favorite ones, uh, was the one we did on Sunday called, uh, doctors Granger and Granger DDS about Hermione's parents. We know nothing about Hermione's parents. We know, we don't even know their names for real, um, Neville's parents, we know so much more about, and Hermione is one of the main three. So pretty interesting stuff. But we talked for 55 minutes about with, with the audience. It's like an open audience discussion, uh, on what sort of parents, uh, you know, would, would raise Hermione to be the way she is and all that stuff. And, um, as a matter of fact, we have that recording of that panel listed over on our Patreon. We down in Texas, we love our Harry Potter. So, yeah, we came out to Lake Condo to talk Harry Potter. <laughs> um, yeah. Good thing you brought this up, though. This reminds me. I need to go to a dentist. Oh, yeah. But anyway. Yeah. I yeah, can recommend a local one. do. Yeah, please. Was uh, Southern Hagrid present for this convention? Uh, we saw a lot of big dudes, but uh, I don't know about Southern Hagrid. I didn't I didn't go up and, and talk to him. But, uh, yeah, but, uh, no, no, it was, it was really, really, truly a blast. The other thing, uh, that we want to get to real quickly is that the deadline has now passed to let us know if you have problems with your, uh, patron mug. So patrons, if you received your annual yearly gift of ceramic mug, you gotta let me know, eric at staff.mugglenut.com, if there was any problems with it, because we're moving on to international shipping now, hardcore, big time, baby. Um, and on that note, <laughs> on that note, if you happen to live in the UK or Canada and you consider yourself something of an expert on your country's customs policy, please let me know. We're shipping some gifts to uh, our patrons in that country and uh, just looking for some helpful, friendly advice. So shoot me an email as well. Well, we can host a conference here in Chicago and they can come to us and pick up. Their oh, mugs. there you go. That sounds That's easier. Cool. Yeah, for us, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you we'll buy you pizza for your troubles yeah, flying we have over that here. free that free uh open bar thing at joe's on weed oh yeah 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 so just ask ryan that'll if be it's great okay. yeah really looking forward to that um okay well thanks thanks for those updates eric let's get to some news now so <clears throat> there appears to be a new beast and we haven't seen him in a trailer or anything but he debuted via funko and hypable actually got the exclusive reveal on this there is a there is a beast in the first wave of crimes of grindelwald pops pop vinyls called a chupacabra now some of you especially if you're a johnny depp fan might actually 
be surprised by this because it turns out, and this is real, Johnny Depp has claimed that he has fought a chupacabra before. He actually used it as an excuse for why he didn't show up to a, a day of press for a movie he did a couple years ago. Huh. He had said, I fought with it for hours. They're very persistent, very mean, and I'm pretty sure it came into my suitcase. I threw him off the 23rd floor, so we'll never see him again. Thank you for understanding. So now this chupacabra, which is evidently a mythical creature here in the muggle world as well, is in J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. (laughs) I guess it survived the fall from the 23rd floor. Yeah. Now the question is, did J.K. Rowling know about Johnny Depp's quote-unquote fight with the chupacabra and add this beast in as like a reference to him or is this just a coincidence i have i have i don't know i i wonder what the chupacabra is to i always thought the chupacabra was native to central america it is yeah yes so not i've heard yeah not right. where our characters are located. Right. That's the other strange thing, unless it's somehow hopped over to Paris or America via a suitcase, maybe. Certainly <laughs> But it's possible. a big enough beast I, in the film to be in the Funko line. Well, yeah, still. The first the first round of Funkos, too. Not even like the second or third right. were hurting for, you know, characters. Right. We got to add in something. Oh, there's that little Chupacabra that made a brief cameo. Let's get him in wave three. Yeah. No, this is wave one. So yeah. oh. it's interesting. I don't know what else to say about it's, it. Yeah, but it's pretty weird. Just I, I hope th- I hope that either Johnny Depp completely imagined fighting the chupacabra, and that he wasn't just like high and injured a dog, you know? Um, <laughs> right. And I hope that this is not a some kind of in joke on the part of Jay. I don't find it to be very funny. Me neither. Like I, I and why why would she do J.K. Uh, why would she do Johnny Depp any favors by including a beast that he likes? Well, because everything's totally fine in, with Johnny Depp, Andrew. Oh, that's she right. She could not be happier to have him in this movie. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Christina, who's listening live, says, yes, it is typically in Central America and the southwestern U.S. in myths. Mm. So, But speaking of beasts, we also got our first look at a baby Niffler. This new photo shows one apparently riding on a cork <laughs> <laughs> right in front of Newt's face. <laughs> Probably going 100 miles per hour, maybe in slow-mo in the movie. Um, they're pretty cute. Yep. <laughs> the, Not much to say no, there. I, I mean, you, they, there's all this concept art. It was on Pottermore uh, as well of like different colored baby nifflers. I, I, don't, I don't know. I think, that, I think that Warner Brothers is very keen and the creators know how much of a success the niffler was in the first film. And uh, actually, there are reports now that there's going to be even more Niffler mayhem in the second one. But uh, the only way they could up the stakes is by making something even cuter. What's cuter than a Niffler? Oh, well, you know, a baby Niffler. Yeah. Can't, so what you're saying is you can't help but feel like this was maybe a marketing move to, to push some merchandise. And yet, I for, want it so bad. For who, though? For, for kids? <laughs> Oh, maybe. For me. For you. This 29-year-old wants a baby Niffler. Now, I've never really been drawn to the Nifflers. I kind of think the adult Niffler is cuter than the baby Niffler, but thinking of how much damage the Ooh, controversy. I know. But this one's probably going to have like a high little voice, and it's probably going to be cute moving around. And if the big Niffler can get into a suitcase to steal stuff, I feel like this one's going to be even more damaging. Yeah, little rascal. 
can get anywhere. Um, we also found out, and we're going to jump back to Nifflers in a second. Eddie Redmayne made an interesting comment about them in Crimes of Grindelwald. But we also found out that an augury is going to be in Fantastic Beasts. This has been confirmed. Um, augury is an interesting beast to be in this movie. We all remember Delphi and Harry Potter and the Cursed Child had augury feathers tattooed on her back. What does it mean? Interesting connection between Cursed Child and Fantastic Beasts there. Don't they foretell death? Yeah. Yes. And in the trailer, there's one looking at Jacob. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I I have said before that Jacob is probably going to die in this series, but I don't think it's going to be in this movie. Yeah. But here's the augury foretelling the death. But it's kind of a goofy looking bird, though. It's not, you know, when you think of an augury, you think of this really dark creature that foretells death, as you said. The interaction that the two of them have with each other, and if I'm remembering this correctly, is the bird's eyes kind of like pop out a little bit like, hey, yeah, who are you? Where are you from? You know, like it's not necessarily a negative interaction. Right. I see what you mean. It's a comic relief scene, potentially. It is. Right. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. But since since we know the augury foretells death, every time we see this beast in the trailer, we're going to have to be keeping a close eye on them because we know J.K. Rowling likes to foreshadow. What if this beast does foreshadow somebody's death in this film? Yeah. What I recall about the augury is that it's actually, I think, an endangered species as a result of what its cry indicates. Uh, so it makes sense mm. that Newt would have one or, or you know, be protecting them or one of them. Um, but you're right. Like, this is the classic way that J.K. Rowling used to drop clues uh, every time the sneakoscope would go off or something. And we'd assume, oh, it's just, you know, just just it's broken. Well, if the augury cries in the film when someone walks into the room, pay particularly close attention to that character right. for the rest of the film series until they until they die. Um, and then jumping back to the Niffler for a second, this news kind of just broke, and it's a translation of a French interview, so we can't take this completely as gospel, but in this new interview, Eddie Redmayne says that Newt is a bit of a celebrity now following the publication of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. And because of his book and writing about Nifflers, Nifflers are now very popular, and there is illegal trafficking of them. And this is probably where the baby Niffler comes in, because they're maybe they're being bred, oh. and everybody wants to buy one, so they're being bred, and maybe Newt doesn't like that. Talk about a get-rich-quick scheme on the part of wizards. Let's just <laughs> get your get yourself a Niffler, and it will find loose change for you or steal somebody else's. Yeah, yeah right. It's, it's. I don't know. To be honest, I don't really like the Nifflers. <laughs> that's, I don't. That's I don't find them that cute. <laughs> yeah, they're missed. I don't find any beast yeah. that cute. They need to be Disney-fied more. Disney-fied? None of these are... Yeah, like, I want cute Disney-cute Disney beasts. Yeah. That's fair. I think that's fair. And like, I, I just, it's, it is, I think it's important to show that Newt's book could have ad, like negative effects on people, like raising them, like people are going after Nifflers now. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense because I, I don't know. It's just like the fact that he's a celebrity based on his book, which is, I mean, he's, it's extensively researched, 
But I like the idea that they would have unintended consequences because he's on one hand, he's raising awareness to how special and, and unique these beasts are. And because a lot of these beasts that he's writing about are near death due to, I don't know, random other trading. He mentioned it in the first movie. And now hopefully there's enough awareness that people will stop killing them. But as a, as mm. a negative result, now people are going to start, you know, potentially, like you said, breeding nifflers and, and picking the ones that they think are the coolest and trying to get one. I can see yeah. a niffler being like an equivalent of like a raccoon. It'd be like a pest. It would show up at your house and start stealing all your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> There goes MuggleCast again, being negative about everything. <laughs> they they don't even like the Nifflers. What's wrong with them? I like the Nifflers. New one-star review yeah. on iTunes. Kendra, as a longtime Harry Potter fan, did you like Fantastic Beasts? Yeah, movie? I really liked it. Okay. I recommend it to everyone since. <laughs> they, hey, you gotta if they haven't watched this. Harry Potter, eight movies is a lot to be like, watch these, but if I can give them one. Oh, that's interesting. To get them into it. Kind of a gateway like into the Wizarding World. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked it. That's a good point. Um, and then one other little tidbit in this new French interview with Eddie Redmayne. Apparently, if I'm understanding this correctly, he Newt is going to Paris to track Credence. That is the reason why he goes there. And Eddie says that Newt is using his beast tracking skills to find a person, which is interesting. I don't think any of us were expecting Newt to be heading over to Paris specifically for Creed. So that surprised yeah. me. Yeah. It's only in the first film, it's only ever kind of an inkling. Newt kind of sees a wisp of smoke. And I think half the audience members who saw that movie probably missed it as well. Uh, based on feedback we've gotten since, you know, there's no indication that Creedence is still alive. So perhaps in some kind of prologue or, Something else, I don't even know that they'd have surveillance photographs. This is the 1920s for crying out loud. How do people know that, <laughs> that, how do people know that Credence is in Paris? Who's watching him? Who's yeah. following him? And for that to be the reason that the entire crew gets up and goes to Paris is a bit of a stretch on first impression. But yeah. we'll see. J.K. Rowling knows what The circus is there, though, isn't it? It is, but there's no... Um, do we see him... Does somebody notice him joining the circus and then figure out that it's going to uh -huh. be in Paris next? Like, who exactly is keeping tabs? Yeah, I think... Well, the circus is there, and Credence, Credence is going there for the circus, correct? Based on what we know? He either already joined when they were stateside and then went to Paris, or is going to Paris to join, I think. Mm-hmm. And Newt's going to go there and be what? Like, hey, man, you don't need the circus. We got a role for you. But I do agree with the question that you asked is how does Newt even know that Credence is alive at this point? Right. Mm. He's going to need to find that out well, some way. And then maybe he has the ability because of all the time that he spent uh, with the other uh, Obscurus to, to know how to mm -hmm. track. Maybe Dumbledore will provide him with. Yeah guidance that's a good guess um yeah i'm still concerned there's too much happening in this oh we should mention this really quick hold on let me pull up the tweet so they did end up doing a test screening of fantastic beast what? and yeah and um it, over in england oh now i mean this guy could be lying but i would think he's <laughs> he actually did go hold on where is it 
Uh-oh. Here it is. Went to a test screening of Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald tonight. A very good opening sequence, but a muddled film that I'm hoping fares better in the final edit. Ooh. Yeah, so I don't know. Take that for what you for what you will, but I I just I there seems like there's a lot happening in this movie. Mm-hmm. A lot. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good thing. Yeah. You, you, they can afford to spread it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, before we get to chapter by chapter, we're t- talking chapter three of Half-Blood Prince. We have a sponsor this week. They are Beach Body On Demand. We've told you about them before. They're an easy-to-use streaming service that gives you instant access to a ton of super effective workouts you can do from the comfort of your living room 24-7. These guys are responsible for the workouts you've heard of. P90X, Insanity, 21 Day Fix, Pyo, 3-Week Yoga Retreat. They're all on here because Beach Body is the place to get a workout. Um, the key to Beachbody On Demand is that it lets you work out where you want, when you want, thanks to their apps. They're compatible with all your smart devices like your tablet, your phone, your computer, your smart TV. Whichever device you have in arm's reach, you can use that to create a gym in your home. And this is why they're so great. We all lead busy lives. Beachbody lets you work out on your own schedule at home so you don't have to go out again. No going to a gym. No finding extra time to get to the gym. Instead, head home and work out. And there's no extra equipment required. And these work. You use your body to work out instead of, you know, dumbbells. My, my personal favorite workout program, and I recommend this as a great starter program, it's UV2. It's a great way to get in a quick, fun, and effective workout. My boyfriend is actually an avid Beachbody On Demand user. He's been using it for well over a year. He loves the Sean T workout programs, as well as one called 80 Day Obsession. He's gotten fantastic results from Beachbody. I really want you to try this. This is the solution you've been looking for to fitting in getting fit. And right now, our listeners can get a special free trial membership when you text MuggleCast to 303030. As if working out wasn't easy enough, it's so easy to sign up. You text MuggleCast to 303030. You can do it right now. Working out is easy, and now signing up is clearly so easy. Join the over 1 million people currently on Beachbody On Demand. Again, text MuggleCast to 303030. You will get full access to this entire platform for free. All the workouts, all the nutrition info, and support, totally free. This is such a good deal. Text MuggleCast to 303030. All right, so Micah, we uh, are asking you to lead this one, Chapter 3 of Half-Blood Prince, since... You've been off past two weeks. It's your turn to work. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> you mean the past one week, right? I don't think we had two shows in the last two weeks, did we? That's 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 that is accurate. accurate. I'm just I mean you, know, you I mean you haven't done any fake news whatever. being thrown and out both there. Both of you guys were down in Florida while I did a whole convention oh, with poor you. So I'm really not gonna talk this episode. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. I'm going back to bed and wait, which part? That you won't talk. <laughs> Not talking. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, chapter three of Half Blood Prince. It, it, actually, you know, one of the things I want to talk about, and, and I think you guys touched on this with Spinner's End last week, was I forget just how much happens in the course of a chapter, uh, you know, because I'm so accustomed to thinking back to the movies. And the fact that this wasn't even in the film really kind of bothered me me too 
I was thinking that too, because I still remember the feelings I experienced while reading this chapter. And I'll get into this later, but it's such a great payoff chapter. Yeah, it, it is. And it's something I think that a lot of us, and I know we asked a question over on Patreon that readers had been waiting for. We we were waiting for this interaction to take place between Dumbledore and the Dursleys, and it finally happened. It was probably everything we had hoped for and more. But uh yeah, I was I was a bit disappointed. Uh there's there's a lot that happens at the the front end of Half Blood Prince that that doesn't make it into the films and so Yeah. Instead we get Harry just kind of hanging out at a diner in in the subway station checking out some girl <laughs> Dumbledore you know showing up on the other side of the tracks so I do yeah. like that that though I, I like him I like that sign that uh, little magic or whatever it says like believe it a little magic it's the perfume you know thing yeah he shows in front of yeah. in front of it I like the way that that which made it made it into the theme park too which was a nice little yeah we reference. all took a photo in front of it um, but, uh, the, and I, and I love that photo. So I have to, I'm biased against, uh, towards this film scene. I have to say that, um, for me, D- Michael Gambon was still not booked Dumbledore at this point. And so I, I wouldn't have liked it if I saw it, if we had the Dursleys back and if Dumbledore is, cause Dumbledore in the, in this book, in this chapter is very, I'm not comfortable with how he treats the Dursleys. I'm not a Dursley apologist. Really? But I think, yeah, but I think this is not the best that Dumbledore's ever been. I think it's great to see him, uh, especially because he spent all last year ignoring Harry, and we know why. But after the recent shout-out at the end of Book 5, once Sirius died and Harry took everything out on him, and then Dumbledore told him about the prophecy, now we're seeing Dumbledore take a new approach. So I like it for that reason, because he is picking Harry up, He's explaining some magical things, magical concepts, and then taking Harry on an assignment. But he's still just kind of like using him. And he's really mistreating these poor Dursleys who were just very shocked. He, you know, yeah. Harry did not. Well before, yeah, go on. well, before we get into that, let's let's start at the beginning of the chapter. Like a, and we'll just go in order. Yeah, what so the chapter opens up and, and Harry's actually asleep, right? And he's, we're kind of getting a... <laughs> an overhead view of of yeah so really it's not even we don't even get from harry's perspective until later on in the chapter so we're really being starved of of harry uh but it's kind of like this overview of his room and it's going from one news clip to the next and you're getting a sense for what's going on there's one that says harry potter the chosen one scrimgeour succeeds fudge there's a list on what to do um, when you're out and about in, in the wizarding community because there are Death Eaters and Voldemort is back. And I, I kind of wondered, you know, at least with the first couple of headlines, are are we meant to feel safe? Uh, you know, is, is this a way for, yes, it's a way for us to get the sense that there's a lot of bad things that are going on. But at the same time, I'm wondering, you know, when, when there's this buildup, of of Scrimgeour taking over from Fudge are there, and all these rules that are being put in place. Is it meant to kind of downplay the fact that Voldemort is back? Are you, are you supposed to feel safe as a reader despite everything that's going on? I don't think you're supposed to feel safe as a reader necessarily, but I think it's a stark contrast from Order of the Phoenix. I don't think it says anywhere that these are Daily Prophet headlines necessarily, but 
from where they, for all of Order of the Phoenix, were just kind of ignoring that Voldemort was back. Now it's like, okay, he's here, but don't worry. Like, Fudge messed this up. Now Scrimgeour is here. Everything's going to be fine. We have all these things in place. Harry Potter might even be the chosen one. He can save us. So he's back, but it's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. The Ministry is in a really embarrassing position right now because of them ignoring the truth for so long. So I think this is all that they can do is try to assure people that the situation is being handled. Right. And I'm, I'm starting to wonder if there isn't like uh, strategic leaks of information, like for instance, that chosen one, probably. Um, Yeah. Even though in that article you have like an obliviator quoted as saying, don't ask me, I can't talk about it. Um, Or an unspeakable, the whole idea that Harry Potter might save the world Gee, it's convenient that that leaked because it gives people hope, right? Um, right. So, but but if you're smart, if I'm a wizard and I'm looking at this, I would not feel comforted by any of these stories in the papers because the ministry effed up so badly. How could you trust them now, even with a new minister in place? I think that's something that we deal with as Americans every day. How do you trust or have hope in the government <laughs> when so much right. wrong is being done? Uh, mm-hmm. but it's a struggle, you know? Yeah. One of the, uh, the bits of information that we get as we go through these different articles is that Dumbledore has been reinstated as the chief warlock of the Wisengown. Um, mm-hmm. and there's a question here that says, but why? Uh, I would think that it's to endear Dumbledore back to the ministry, to Scrimgeour, to others that have, now probably taken over as Fudge's administration has been pushed out. Um, oh, I actually, so do you, do you see like, you said Fudge's administration. Do you think there's a group of people that are like intrinsic to who the minister is that are now changing so. positions? Like, I would think it oh, would okay. be similar to any administration that's in power. I just don't think that Fudge is somebody who operated completely independent of anybody else yeah i i never thought of the wizarding government as being like you know terms or having fudge have his specific deputy his specific spokesperson his specific you know i always saw it as i because i'm not familiar with british politics i just saw it as something completely alien and different that they would replace fudge but pretty much everybody else would keep their job Mm. um now that i'm saying that that doesn't necessarily make sense but that's the way i've always kind of thought of it um, but regarding Dumbledore, it's, you know, knowing he has very little time left, uh, in this world, um, from having finished this book, um, you know, I wonder what the importance is of him being reinstated to this a- as chairman of the Supreme Mugwumps or the, um, what was it? The Wisengamo chief warlock of the Wisengamo. <laughs> He's, he, you know, Dumbledore I... has so many titles. He is Supreme Mugwump. <laughs> he is chief warlock. He's all these things, these, these, he's its hand in several cookie jars. But, you know, I don't think he's actually going to have time to sit in this office. Um, no. I think it's an apology to Dumbledore. By reinstating him, they're saying, hey, sorry, we screwed up. We'll have you back. Dumbledore, though, still doesn't have a good relationship with the ministry. Right. Um, we know that Scrimgeour and Dumbledore are still, they're still... Uh, it's still a tense, tense relationship because Scrimgeour tries to get Dumbledore to speak fondly of the ministry to the public, but Dumbledore doesn't want to do that. Yeah. 
And that's why there's a strife, which is noted in one of these papers. So Dumbledore rightfully, and plus he doesn't, he knows he doesn't have much time left. So why should he go and speak positively about the ministry when he's going to be dead within a year? And who knows how the ministry is going to be acting beyond that? Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't know ultimately how this is going to play out. I, I think there's a lack of trust there still on the part of, of Dumbledore, not necessarily with somebody like Scrimgeour, but when you think about how much he had to try and do in order to get Fudge to listen to him, there's probably others within the staff of the ministry that are easily compromised, right? Just look at some of the other headlines that we're reading, some of the other stories that are that were coming across, even going back to the the first chapter between the the two ministers uh people are are easily compromised and there's probably a very small circle of people that Dumbledore Dumbledore trusts um so as you said why waste his time at at a place that has caused him so much angst and and strife over the course of the last couple of years it's yeah. just funny to see Harry adopt basically Dumbledore's philosophy too i mean for the right reasons but Harry's opposition to the ministry is based on, well, what have you done for me? And, you know, that seems to be what you guys are thinking Dumbledore is saying, too. Um, why should I support or endorse the government when they've made it so much harder for me to do my my thing? Um, it's kind of a, uh, an, a, an attitude that both Dumbledore and Harry share. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other uh, mentions that we got in the early part of this chapter as you're going through and reading some of these headlines was that of the Inferi. And I'm not sure if it's the first time in the series that we hear about them, but just given what happens later on in this book, it's one of those, as you were saying earlier, uh, when we're talking about the augury and Jacob, it's JK Rowling's way of, of kind of dropping subtle hints uh, of what's to come later yeah. on. Yeah. And it was published in the paper, right? So obviously wizards know what that is, but to us it's like, wait, what? Yeah. It's uh it's in the protecting your home and family against dark forces uh, little snippet. <laughs> Would any of those work? Would those steps work? I think they're pretty good, right? For mass consumption. Actually, yeah, what cracked me up was the security question. Come up with a security question for your friends and family. So you can identify that it's truly them and not somebody under Polyjuice Potion. Well, we see the order use that. Yeah. I was trying to think what our security questions would be for each other. At least up here in Canada, I think they kind of have that. uh, They tell kids to do that. Like if your parent can't pick you up from school and they're sending someone else, they're like, give them a security question so they know it's not a random stranger trying to pick them up. Uh, That's really smart. (laughs) Like that that probably (laughs) saves lives. Yeah. Yeah. So, Micah, I'm not sure if this is truly you. Tell me, what's the MuggleCast Gmail password? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, there you go. Uh, I don't know, Andrew. It's way too complicated. You're fake. All right. So finally, uh, Harry wakes up. It's been a couple pages, right? And uh, (laughs) one of the things that um, we see in addition to all these articles is a letter that was written by Dumbledore to Harry. And we we get the sense from Harry that he's very um, he's unsure that Dumbledore is actually going to do what he says in this letter and that show up at Privet Drive. And I wanted to know if you all thought that 
this was a result of, of their relationship from Order of the Phoenix. Does he just not put a lot of trust into Dumbledore anymore? Mm. I think that, you know, I would say that that's a good guess, Micah, but that's the last thing on Harry's mind, seemingly. Um, I'm just going to read a part of this excerpt. It says, It just seemed too good to be true that he was going to be rescued from the Dursleys after a mere fortnight of their company. So first of all, he just can't believe that he has to be at the Dursleys for such a short amount of time. But then it goes on, He could not shrug off the feeling that something was going to go wrong. His reply to Dumbledore's letter might have gone astray. Dumbledore could be could be prevented from collecting them. The letter might turn out to not be from Dumbledore at all, but a trick or joke or trap. So I agree with you, yet this is not on Harry's mind. So why is he not thinking that? <laughs> that Dumbledore might just be misleading It's unrealistic him again. that he should think that Dumbledore couldn't make it safely to Privet Drive. He's Dumbledore, for crying out loud. Right. All of this seems like right. a weird cop-out, and it's very weird that he that Harry would not tell the Dursleys. According to this chapter, we're just supposed to believe it slipped his mind, but my argument is going to be Harry, Harry not telling the Dursleys further worsens the relationship that the Dursleys have with Dumbledore. And I know it doesn't really amount to much, but it is something to consider. Like, Harry caused this problem uh, by not, you know, telling them. And if, if, if Dumbledore is coming at 11 o'clock at night, and I would be irate too, you know. The late hour, I agree with you on, but Harry doesn't owe them anything. Yeah. So it's kind of fun to make Dumbledore, uh, give Dumbledore a surprise appearance. Yeah. I was so mad at Harry the whole chapter. I was like, Harry, pack your stuff. You're going to keep Dumbledore waiting when he gets here. Like, tell your guardians that Dumbledore's... this crazy looking guy is yeah. going to show up in a few minutes. Grow up. What are the Dursleys even doing up at 11 p.m.? That seems late for a for a very um well for a very yeah muggle ordinary se- serious family you know they're not very fun they don't go out partying they seem like a type of family that'll be in bed by nine Petunia's got her very last minute wipe down of the uh, kitchen uh, surfaces <laughs> very important very very crucial yes um it's yes. Harry does need to grow up and fast uh it's ridiculous that like he's in bed meanwhile at seven or leaning against a window <laughs> with a misty fog coming from his i don't know it's funny mm. what are you gonna do i disagree with you guys mm. but that's okay but yeah. what do you think the reaction would have been though if uh he told them Dumbledore is gonna be here at 11 o'clock at night no well i don't think we tell him to come later later don't come at all probably anxious and you know um apprehension nervousness but at least then they'd be ready to receive a guest i think you know the dursleys we all know the dursleys stink right and people really relish his mistreatment of the dursleys for that reason in this chapter everybody's like look they're finally getting their own but this Mm -hmm. is caused by harry i think they would have been a little bit a little bit better at least certainly prepared to observe the niceties um, because we've seen them do it before. I mean, the, the, the Dursleys, when they were hosting the Masons, you know, there was, there was a, a bunt cake or something. It was a j- right. jello cake. They've done it before. They've hosted, they're capable of welcoming people. But wait their, a second. Their homes. But they wouldn't have welcomed a wizard into their house. They wouldn't have prepared a bunt cake. They wouldn't have done anything. Yeah, I don't, they'd be dreading I it. I think they probably would have left. I think they probably would have left the house, which I think is interesting that Dumbledore didn't oh, yeah. tell Harry not to tell them because he obviously had something to say to them. And I think had they known That's Dumbledore was coming, they couldn't have gotten farther for enough away. 
Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So then Dumbledore does show up, and I found this line very interesting. Vernon doesn't say anything, but he is, quote, temporarily robbed of breath when Dumbledore enters. He's intimidated, right? And I found this interesting because just like Voldemort is challenged by Dumbledore, he knows that he is his equal or perhaps greater than him. Vernon, too, realizes that he can't yell at this guy, that Dumbledore's got the leg up on him. Yeah. And it's almost, and, <laughs> and Vernon and Voldemort both hate Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, Vernon and Voldemort are the same person. Oh, my God. Scared of Dumbledore, hating Harry. Crackpot theory. Wow. There you go. <laughs> There's actually a comparison, though, between Dumbledore and Vernon's mustaches. <laughs> Wait, Voldemort's mustache? No, no, no. I said Vernon and Dumbledore's. Oh. So I don't know if we want to try and connect the two of them together now, too. Yeah. They're pretty much the same person. (laughs) That's wrong. (laughs) Vernon is evil and mean. It is. It is true. So is Dumbledore, though. Yep. No. Pig for slaughter. Or are we not there yet? No. Uh, Maybe not eventually. Not there yet. So what happens in this encounter, Micah? Oh, it's wonderful. It's everything we could have wanted and more. Great 11 p.m. encounter. Surprise encounter. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think it's much as we would have expected, right? We have a stunned Dursley family, uh, a very witty and cordial Dumbledore, although very fierce at times, too, uh, in terms of how he interacts with them. Uh, he invites himself in saying that, uh, let's suppose that you've invited me into your home, and he steps in and, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know. I, I feel like this is something that we as readers w- were waiting for. We were waiting for Dumbledore and the Dursleys to sort of come face to face with each other after all this time, after the way they've treated Harry uh, for all these years. I'm not sure the payoff, is the payoff what we wanted it to be, though? I mean, what, what was the what was the expectation, though? Just like a good stern talking to? I think so. To I. Yes, I love this chapter because finally somebody, and who who better than Dumbledore, to face the Dursleys face-to-face and put them in their place for how they've treated Harry over the years. Dumbledore nails them multiple times. He also nails them physically with these glasses of meat. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it's just so nice to read. Finally, somebody gets to talk down to the Dursleys, and they're silent. They can't do anything. Uh, Dumbledore is making it making no effort to really explain himself or where he's coming from. He gives them a stern talking to, but he ultimately leaves them with more questions than answers in terms of what did he mean when he said we were mistreating Dudley? You know, people don't, they don't get it. And maybe it's supposed to be plain as day. Um, but I'm just not a hundred percent sold on what Dumbledore is getting at. And meanwhile, honestly, in this chapter, the way it reads to me, the Dursleys are Dumbledore's prisoner. I'm sorry, but they just are. He drew a wand so rapidly that Harry barely saw it, I'm quoting. With a casual flick, the sofa zoomed forward and knocked the knees out from from under all three of the Dursleys so that they collapsed upon it in a heap. Another flick of the wand and the sofa zoomed back to its original position. Who are the Dursleys to contend against Dumbledore's magic? He's forcing them to sit down, forcing them to drink drinks that they don't want to drink. 
um, you know, forcing them into a conversation just because he wills it to be so. This is very much the Dumbledore that fell in love with Grindelwald and wanted to subjugate the Muggle world. Dumbledore hasn't changed at all. Wow. Yeah. All right. I think in this case, it's kind of the mark of a dying man is what I'm seeing. Like, I've got all of this stuff to get done. I don't have time for politeness. You've mistreated this kid for so long. I only have this one chance to say this to you. And also, I'm not going to deal with you. We've got to get this stuff done. I'm going to do whatever I have to do and not let you get in my way. Good point. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Yeah, it, it it works. It's just rough around the edges because Dumbledore is, you know, maybe because Dumbledore is dying. But for me, I, I, there's a little bit of joy in seeing the, the glasses rub up against the temples of the Dursleys. But then I have nothing but empathy for how uncomfortable that would actually feel if it were me. I definitely so. have empathy for Dudley because really every encounter he's had with a wizard has been like him just being either attacked by a Dementor or just relentlessly bullied. <laughs> right but see Dumbledore wouldn't do this if the Dursleys had treated him nicely so this is their fault and that's why I don't have sympathy Mm -hmm. and by the way what does Voldemort (laughs) Voldemort Dumbledore mean when he says that um he they've treated Dudley very poorly I I think he's just looking at Dudley being very overweight and suggesting that uh, giving in, giving into his every indulgence is has just been yep. done. He says what irreparable harm, right to to the boy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've basically just spoiled him so much that he has no chance of surviving in the real world without yeah. him, without them. Which that's a bit right. unfair, right? I mean, I think that no, it's a little bit. He's 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 large and spoiled, only child situation, and and they don't realize how they've mistreated him. Because they've only treated him one type of way. They don't know any other way to treat Dudley, Dudley than by giving him the best. But it's not Dumbledore's line here that causes Dudley to grow into the character we see in book seven when he has that tearful goodbye with Harry. You know, when he when he comes to his own and realizes, like, Dudley is, you know, far be it for the Dursleys to have a say in this, but Dudley is growing into his own person and a man, and it's not because of Dumbledore saying this one throwaway line, Dudley is not lost cause or, you know, hurt mm. for life or irreparably damaged. I mean, Dumbledore's just making a fat joke and leaving, mm-hmm. piecing but out. But do you think, and this may be going a little bit off topic now, but Dudley treats Harry the way that he does because of the way Vernon and Petunia treat him? I think he's leading yeah. by example, yeah. Libby, who is listening live on Patreon, she says, do you think Dumbledore's speech to the Dursleys was another form of emotional manipulation towards Harry? Like, look, Harry, I'm on your side. I'm defending you, finally, from the Dursleys. Because he knows he is dying and he wants Harry to think of him fondly or trust him with what he knows he is asking of Harry at the very end. I think that's a good point. Yeah, I think uh, it also helps Dumbledore's cause in the very next chapter. He knows what mission he and Harry have to go on, and he wants Harry to be as close to his side as, as it can be. So I, mm-hmm. I, he might be overcompensating. I think that's the right way of looking at mm-hmm. it. And Deisha, hopefully I'm pronouncing your name right. She says, this may be too deep, but Dumbledore entered their home without real permission, forced them to stay there. He scared them. This all happened in their own home. How are they ever supposed to feel safe in their home when their son grew up, when a wizard can just come in any time and hold them hostage? Exactly. They are his hostages. Yeah, pretty damaged. Mm-hmm. 
damaging. Yeah, I guess I, I don't think we would ever have looked at this this way right when the book first came out. So I think it's it's definitely interesting that we're kind of taking this perspective of Dumbledore being a yeah. bully essentially. Yeah. I still don't mind it. <laughs> You're still all for it. <laughs> Can some of you who agree with me please write in and help me out? <laughs> well, one thing that's worth mentioning uh, that happens at the very onset uh, when he meets Petunia, uh, he says that they have corresponded before, of course. Mm. And Harry thought that very odd way of, of referring to a howler that he had sent. Uh, there was a lot of theorizing, of course, around this particular statement and we find out more of course in deathly hallows yeah right it's kind of beautiful to have this moment that is overlooked by the text but dumbledore sees or petunia sees dumbledore for the first time and is again robbed of her breath as the reader at the time you think it's you know the same thing with vernon he's just so flustered but petunia we learn is you know seeing the man in person for the first time the man that she as a little girl wrote to asking to be part of hogwarts and you know the letter she got back was thoughtful and and careful and apologetic she's seeing Mm. dumbledore for the first time this man that you know has played such an important role in her sister's life and death and you know he's the main man it's albus dumbledore it would be as if the uh, santa claus walked in the door Honestly, this may, yeah, exactly. This man you wrote to as a kid is now <laughs> made flesh going with Santa Claus. But he could have just completely revealed everything about their correspondence in that moment, but he doesn't. You know, given everything else that's going on right now between him and the Dursleys, why not just let her secret out? Why, because that would be highly embarrassing for her, wouldn't it? It would cause a lot of marital strife between her and Vernon. Yeah. I think he might have pulled it out had the Dursleys been resistant to Harry coming back the next year. He might have tried to use that as one last bit of leverage, but I just don't think he needed to put her in that position in this case. Mm. One other thing that, that gets mentioned that literally gets pushed aside by, by Dumbledore is Harry's mention of his hand. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that because Snape makes a similar comment in Spinner's End about how Dumbledore is is not as quick as he used to be. He's getting old. And now we can sort of start putting the pieces together a little bit. Yeah. I didn't really take Snape's comment, though, in the same... Do you think he's specifically mentioning what's going on with trying to destroy the Horcrux? Is that what Snape was alluding to? Or is he just... I, I kind of took Snape's comment as just, you know, brushing off Dumbledore. as like, ah, he's an old dude. What Snape says is uh, he recently sustained an injury. And in this chapter, we see what that injury is. Dumbledore's hand is, uh, like, blackened and, and, and <laughs> like, flaying off. Um, yeah. But it's, unfortunately, it, it's this book's least funny recurring joke, I guess, that Harry asks Dumbledore what's up with his arm, and Dumbledore says, later, Harry. And he does this the entire book, and and Dumbledore never tells Harry what's up with his mm-hmm. arm. Unless I'm mistaken, he always, always says, it's a fascinating story, I will tell you much later, and he never gets around to it because he dies. Mm. Um, this is the first 
time that that occurs, and it will not be the last in this book. Thanks, Dumbledore. Thanks, Dumbledore. Always so helpful. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, then we get to the real comic relief of the chapter, in my opinion. (laughs) Well, because now we're getting to Creature being brought in, and I completely forgot about this, and and what better way to put the Dursleys in their place? After Eric, you had mentioned Petunia, she was washing down the kitchen, she was getting everything all organized for the next day, and in pops this filthy, disgusting, ragged house elf all over her floor. It 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 completely upsets the image of what she would see as as her living room and 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 you know sort of this perfect home. And this is where I, I see Dumbledore being a bit sinister because yeah. he doesn't even need to do this really within the Dursley's home. Right. He's doing it to add another level of fear to to them. And he's doing it to really contrast what the Dursleys would see as being, you know, their, their perfect home and, and the way that they've lived their lives for however long that they've been at Privet Drive. So um, it's obviously an important moment because we learn that Harry has inherited uh, Grimmauld Place and Creature along with it. And it's just, uh, it's, I don't know. What did you guys think of it? What this you- is well. This is the one part where I agree with you that Dumbledore might be bullying them and holding them hostage. This situation, this this investigation, did not have to occur in the Dursleys' home. Yeah, <laughs> this could have easily happened. Occurred somewhere could have else. On the street. Put the Dursleys in their place. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or over at Slughorn's place. Like this just did not have to happen here. Put the Dursleys in their place in their home. I'm I'm cool with that, but the but bringing creature in and figuring out that whole situation that didn't have to. I kind of disagree because there is like it's a pretty sensitive matter the ownership of twelve Grimmel Place and who gets the stuff that Harry's inherited, and there is definitely a level of security that exists at the Dursley home that doesn't exist in other homes in the Wizarding World. Maybe the the problem of being overheard is. You know, this he's doing it there because it has to be done there. Um, because mm. they have the least, uh, it's least likely that they'll be overheard about this whole Will stuff and the Fidelia's charm and the Grimald place. That's a good point, I think. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that magic. Um, this has always been a very interesting discussion, I think. Um, Dumbledore, one of the reasons he's here is because he says Harry needs to return to the house one more time so he can have the magic that Dumbledore evoked on the house last for its intended course. What is this magic that he evoked on the house when Harry first moved in? And and why does it only last until he becomes of age? Well, it's not on the house. I don't think it's on... Harry himself. So there's, I believe there's like three parts of the charm. The first part would be your family member sacrificing themselves for you. And then there is like an actual spell that needs to be said on to the person being Harry. And then the third part of the charm would be, I think this is in Order of the Phoenix. The third part would be the family member of the person who made the sacrifice accepting you into their home So the charm's on Harry because of his mom's sacrifice 
but it exists on the home because of Petunia accepting him into it. So I'm not sure. And Mm. I think it would end when he comes of age because that would be when you don't need like your parents protection anymore. But what I'm not clear on is what would happen if someone sacrificed themselves for like an 18 year old then like isn't just not possible i've I've always found it problematic that lily is apparently the first person to like jump in front of their child during a time of war (laughs) i i think that's ridiculous and completely impossible but as far as this charm goes um it is the blood connection between that petunia shares with harry they share the same blood that enables this protection dumbledore somehow I guess without meeting with Petunia specifically to do it, was able to invoke uh, this magical protection over the home that of where mm-hmm. Petunia resides. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, I think it is like some form of blood magic. I think it's said as much that, you know, the magical blood and this, this is Voldemort's all about Harry's blood, like, you know, is, is really at root what's causing Harry to be safe. But I think the coming of age thing is exactly what you said. Like, the protection that Lily conveyed to Harry is based on the fact that he was an innocent child and unable to defend himself. So in JKR's mind, that goes away when someone is, you know, an adult. Mm-hmm. Okay. I thought it was interesting though, too, when they brought up the fact that don't you come of age when you're 18 years old as a, you know, as opposed to what they're saying um, when he's 17. And that yeah. would have been funny if Dumbledore was like, Oh, what do you want him for an extra year? but it's also funny i'm looking at this line right now uncle vernon muttered preposterous when dumbledore said they come of age at 17 (laughs) as if a year makes like a huge difference like uncle vernon is so offended by (laughs) becoming an adult a year earlier he must think it's so preposterous because dudley clearly is not an adult yet (laughs) yeah maybe gosh So Creature gets sent off to the Hogwarts kitchens. So that'll be interesting, I'm sure, later on. But what mm-hmm. what I thought would have also been pretty funny, what if Harry said he had to stay with the Dursleys? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Here, here Petunia, on Petunia, you have a, a willing and helpful servant. To help you clean things. Man, Creature would just ruin that place. He would just completely destroy it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that would be very mean of Dumbledore. <laughs> then again, if he, uh, if Petunia was allowed to control Creature, maybe she would actually come to like him. Hey, he can do all my cleaning now. It's just the talkback would be infuriating. Well, you could also tell him to shut up. Oh, yeah, that's true. As his master. But no, the Dursleys would probably not like that overall. Yeah. Or maybe be a good substitute for while Harry's gone. I feel it. You know, keep keep something magical in the house. I feel a little bit. Because they miss Harry. I feel Harry. a little bit sad for Creature having to choke on his own words, you know? A L- little bit. Yeah. That's house elf life, though. Uh, that is house elf life. I'm just, I'm just feeling bad for the Dursleys, for Creature. I'm in a weird emotional spot with this chapter, you know? <laughs> I'm like, uh. Very conflicted. Yeah. But uh, so that gets resolved, right? And and we're also we're we're able to learn the fact that that Grimmauld Place uh, there there is some question as to how secure it actually is, and and who now may potentially be able to access it, and and I think this is all despite the allegiance of of creature uh, being uh, to to Harry now. 
you can tell that that Dumbledore was a bit concerned that Bellatrix or others uh, would be able to find the headquarters for the Order of the Phoenix, utilize Creature even further beyond what she did uh, in Order of the Phoenix. So it seems like Dumbledore is going around and he's tying up quite a bit of loose ends. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think Mm -hmm. the Order of the Phoenix still needs a headquarters, um, but I know they've sort of made temporarily somewhere else their headquarters but it is some a bit of loose ends tying and it's a little bit of a credit to Sirius just a tiny tiny little bit of a credit to Sirius that as a result of these tests these experiments that they do Dumbledore says it looks like Sirius knew what he was doing when he left you uh, all of his stuff in his will so Sirius had to you know really kind of investigate to see if there were any charms that would affect somebody else's eligibility to own Grimald Place, and apparently there weren't. Yeah. I never doubted Sirius's ability to have this worked out, because he knew he was always a risk, that he could die, um, and he would want his affairs in order should he pass. I think the question becomes what his parents did, though. Hmm? You know? like Yeah, but still, don't you have faith in him to fix that all? Yeah. Fix all that? I (laughs) did. I knew you had it under control, buddy. How's the veil? Oof. That's rough. <laughs> That's rough. Uh, what is on the other side? One other thing I, I did want to bring up, because I know we're, we're probably pretty close to wrapping up this chapter, and it can kind of tie into this question about where do vanished objects go? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Eric, did you put that there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I put that here. Sounds like one of your questions, so I just wanted to... Uh... Oh, I, I borrowed it from the door knocker and the Ravenclaw... But, uh, Speaking of vanished objects, uh, I thought it was, again, very well done on the part of J.K. Rowling to use a bottle of mead, right? We know mead comes into play later on in the story, of course, being sent to Dumbledore. Mm. Uh, and, And that's, in fact, what he serves up to the Dursleys. And I don't know, I just think it's another instance of not foreshadowing, but planting seeds so that you're you're you should be thinking about these types of things that is interesting mm-hmm. um uh vanish objects i don't really know what to say about that but i think it is kind of interesting that they can move all these objects well no what i mean is <laughs> wherever they want or out of nowhere conjures a bottle of madame rose Merta's, you know fine oak matured mead and glasses he conjures them out of nothing which, if it's uh, one of Gamp's laws, is you can't create food out of nothing. So, I mean, I'm assuming meat is food. Question, question mark, question mark. Um, but clearly, that bottle and those glasses were existing somewhere, and probably somewhere far away. I mean, you know, Hogwarts is a, a great distance uh, away from where the Dursleys live. We can assume. And so Dumbledore, you know, with the flick of his wand, made these things appear. They came from somewhere. They were summoned, but not as messily as Accio. Uh, like, remember in the first task during book four, when Harry has to uh, summon his broom and it like breaks the chains and comes through the windows and the walls and the you know, flies to him and gets him. Dumbledore did something a lot more uh, stealthily, a lot, a lot smoother with these bottles. And then, you know, at the end of the chapter, he moves Harry's trunk, his living, breathing owl, and his other supplies to the burrow with a flick of his wand as well. This is magic that... My I, point is we didn't see this before. 
I believe they exist between life and death at that King's Cross station that we see in <laughs> Deathly Hollows. <laughs> all the vanished objects are there. It's all there. Yeah, J.K. Rowling didn't have room to fit that in, but they're all there. But like, Also, doesn't he kind of summon creature out of nowhere? Like, where does he come from? Because well, he couldn't have operated mm. in just at on command. We, well, well, look, Dumbledore is one of the most powerful wizards of our time. He's got this all figured out. I just mean to point out <laughs> that it's magic we've never seen before. Right. Yeah. Um, and then there's this final line in the chapter, which I think is one of Dumbledore's best. He says, let us step into the night and pursue that flighty temptress adventure. I love that line. But what does flighty temptress mean? It means it, 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 the, the chance to seek out adventure comes and goes. It tempts, it tempts you. But what does flighty mean? It's only there sometimes. Uh, like uh, prone to taking off, uh, not substantial, non-corporeal, like, uh, you know, it's a tease. It's adventure is mm-hmm. a tease. It, it gets you interested and then might not be promising, might not be rewarding, but it's tempt- tempting you to go on the journey kind of thing. It is. I have this article up from Bustle.com, 11 Harry Potter quotes about adventure, and it has this quote, and then it says, see... No one can resist a little adventure. Not even grown-ass wizards like Albus Dumbledore. <laughs> what? I think it's wrong to characterize this next chapter as an adventure. I mean, it's a little bit of a misnomer, if you ask me. Well, it's it's a mission. It's a, a gamble, maybe, at best. It is a gamble. But Dumbledore's got pretty much everything aligned to make this, uh, you know, introduction... To, to Harry and, and Slughorn. I know we'll talk about this next time, you know, next chapter. But I don't think it's right to say it's an adventure. Like, the cave they Maybe, thing is an adventure. But this is Dumbledore and Harry going out for the first time together. Maybe he's excited about that. Just, he's going on a mission with Harry. Yeah outside of Hogwarts. It's kind of cool. And maybe it's just sort of J.K. Rowling's invitation into this book. Yeah. It, it reminds me of Grindelwald's line, shall we... Die just a little. Die just a little, yeah. And I think the uh, Heyman or Yates had said it's it's kind of an invitation to what's ahead. That's the vibe I get I from like this. That. Agreed. And, and I think, in a way, these first couple of chapters are very similar uh, to each other, right? You're just kind of having these people coming together, talking. There's not a lot, whole lot of action taking place. It's all just characters in these different home settings maybe with the exception of the first chapter but still you know and and laying the groundwork for what's to come in in the rest of the book one could argue that that is the minister's home he's spending so much time there with all the trouble that's going on True. <laughs> never gets to leave poor guy all right we have a question that we asked our patrons that we'll get to in a second and then we're going to name the MVP of the week, and we're going to rename the chapter, as we've been doing with chapter by chapter, Half-Blood Prince so far. Uh, but first, we have another advertiser. They are Zip Recruiter. Hiring is challenging. I know this. It can be a struggle to find the right person to hire at Hypable. But there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash MuggleCast. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. 
but they don't stop there. ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you receive the best possible matches. That's why ZipRecruiter is different, because unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It will find them for you. It's so easy, and it's so effective. In fact, it's so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. This is super quick, and you get the right people. It's just amazing. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest-rated hiring site in America. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash MuggleCast. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash MuggleCast. If you're looking to hire, this is the place to do it. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Cool. Well, as Andrew mentioned, we did ask a question over on Patreon about... uh, Chapter three of Half-Blood Prince, uh, we wanted to know what was the biggest takeaway uh, from Dumbledore's conversation with the Dursleys and uh, got a number of answers here. The first from Rebecca Rowley, who says the part that lingered with me the most was towards the end of the chapter when Dumbledore practically scolded the Dursleys in his most calm Dumbledore way for not treating Harry like a son and instead keeping him miserable while he called their house his home. The line insinuating they had damaged Dudley with all their pampering and spoiling of him was so gratifying to me. Even though he had a terrible childhood, Harry still turned out to be a much more well-rounded person than Dudley, and I smile every time I read that bit where it's thrown in the Dursley's face. Mm. (laughs) Ashley Wilson said, This chapter always made me happy because I felt like Harry finally had some satisfaction seeing the Dursleys be called out by Dumbledore for being horrible to him, since taking him in. Also, it was awesome to hear Dumbledore explain the importance of Harry calling Privet Drive home where his mother mother's blood lives. Another anti-magic Dursley wall broken down and perhaps allowing them a glimpse into the very real danger Harry and the Wizarding World slash Muggle World at large is in. All in all, love the juxtaposition of Dumbledore being in the Dursley world, schooling them on manners. I think a lot of people agreeing with me here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You found you found some kindred <laughs> friends here. Uh, a darker take, though, comes from Owen Mims. Uh, he says, After the revelations of Book 7, I think this conversation might be a brief glimpse into the Albus Dumbledore that once found a kindred spirit in Gellert Grindelwald. He flaunts his powers in front of them, knowing full well their feelings toward magic, which is made worse by his knowledge of Petunia's envy toward her sister. I think this is the prideful Dumbledore, the manipulative Dumbledore, the Dumbledore that is perhaps upset that his plans were endangered because this family of muggles mistreated his prized agent. Mm. Interesting. This is like Retribution 101 for Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's angry. He's going to grind some temples with some glass. Steph doesn't agree, though, uh, with some of the... People siding with me here. She says, too little, too late, D-Dor. Oh. Yeah. Interesting nickname for him. D-Dor. Yeah. <laughs> what, is she, what does she mean by that, though? That, that that he's coming to Harry's defense in regards to the Dursleys too late? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he clearly knows how he's been treated all these years, and he's done very little about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Leanne said, my favorite part is still the absolute refusal of the Dursleys to accept the existence of anything magical, even when is literally slapping them in the face. <laughs> Dumbledore's humor is the best. I love 
that they finally get a small taste of the treatment they have given to Harry for over a decade. And finally, one more here from Evelyn Blake. It's very humorous, but it has a dark undercurrent. Dumbledore clearly wants to let the Dursleys know they were not doing a good job all these years. Why didn't he confront them before? Very sad the whole scene with the Dursleys got replaced with the dumb scene with a girl in a coffee shop. (sighs) Yeah. People complain about how the tone needs to be, quote, darker. But J.K. Rowling is so good with combining light and dark, it was all a huge missed opportunity. I like the cafe scene in the movie. But in replace of the Dursleys? No. Yeah, no. I want more Dursleys in the films. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 All right. Thanks to patrons who contributed there. We do that pretty much every week over at patreon.com slash mugglecast. Get some of your feedback on the show. Um, Let's name the MVP of the week. The most valuable wizarding player of the week. Um, I usually like to do a jokey type of pick. But this week, I got to say Dumbledore. D-Door ruled in this. I, I I said that first time I read this, I just remember feeling so good. It gives you so much payoff. Finally, somebody is putting the Dursleys in their place. I don't think I expected it to ever happen. So reading this, reading this for the first time, I was like, yes, yes, thank you. They mistreated him. And yes, they do t- <laughs> treat Dudley like crap as well. <laughs> um, so I was all for it. Eric, who was your MVP? Uh, I got to give it to my man, Sirius, the godfather with the mostest. Uh, even in death, he's, uh, well, he just, you know, before he died, making sure that the protections that his crazy family and relatives uh, would have put on the building uh, did not interfere with his wishes for Harry, a non-black, to uh, receive his... Um, you know, property and all of his holdings. So super, super sure. cool. Good on Sirius for thwarting sort of the last middle finger to his uh, extended estranged family. Mm-hmm. Very MVP stuff. MVDP. Yeah. yeah. I ended up going with uh, Hagrid because uh, he got his uh, hippogriff back. Buckbeak. Witherwings. But I'm sorry, Mike. That doesn't make him the most valuable player. That might make him happy, <laughs> but not valuable. Come on, you're a sports guy. You should know this. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm trying to not pick the ones that were already selected. So uh, <laughs> fair enough. I just like giving you a hard time. How about you, Kendra? Uh, my pick was Creature, whom I just generally love. But I think in this chapter, he shows an impressive amount of defiance for a house elf and kind of always does. Like, he really likes serving the blacks and then when other people move in he's like i have to serve you but i'm gonna make you pay for it and he kind of does the same thing here where they force him to be quiet but he still has a temper tantrum on the floor like he kind of just does what he wants despite having to do what he's told yeah all right good pick yeah so now let's rename the chapter uh let's create a title that better reflects what we saw This chapter's title was Will and Won't, referring to Creature saying he won't, uh, but then he does. And then the will is Sirius's will, right, that he's reading. Oh, uh, you know, I never noticed that before. Double meanings. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one to understand. I I only got it this this reread through, too. I thought it was just like wordplay, will and won't, because Creature's like, I will, I won't. Yeah. But I get it now. Anyway, this chapter is definitely in need of some renaming. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's too hard to understand. We have to rename it. My pick is Half-Blood Prince Chapter 3. Deal with it. <laughs> Referring to Dumbledore entering their house. Clearly, I'm a big fan of Dumbledore's actions. Clearly. I went with Half-Blood Prince Chapter 3. Angry Door. <laughs> I didn't think he was angry, but all He's right. righteous. I went with Half-Blood Prince Chapter 3. When Creature met Petunia. <laughs> Aw. <laughs> Two people you'd never expect Violins together. are playing. Uh, I said, Half-Blood Prince, Chapter 3, My Godfather Died and All I Got Was This Lousy House Elf. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. It's perfect. Kendra's the MVP of and this to, episode. Yeah, I agree. And to be fair, a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> In a house. <laughs> Not that he needed it, though. Okay. Well, um, to wrap up this chapter-by-chapter chapter segment, we have a crackpot theory. Eric, did you find this? I did find this. This came into our email inbox, and it's a, it's a crackpot theory in the, in the vein of what we did last week, where a throwaway line is used to justify or extrapolate like what could have been or could be going on in like it's never explicitly proven kind of kind of way so this is actually based on a line that happens in chapter five but it has repercussions which is why i'm mentioning it in chapter three for us to take a look at in chapter five molly weasley uh asks dumbledore where <laughs> she expresses surprise that they arrived in the middle of the night and dumbledore replies we were lucky and the question becomes whether or not dumbledore was using felix felicis uh, this whole time, including in chapter three, the chapter we just read to help him achieve his ends. So here's the here's the full email. I'll really read real quickly. Beth Curry writes, hi, guys. I only discovered podcasts about a month ago, but I have subscribed to MuggleCast and enjoy listening to current and older episodes and hearing all of your theories. Thanks. My kids are named Lily and James. Yes, after them. And I've loved Harry Potter since 2000 when I was in law school and needed something fun to read over a school break. When I first read chapters three and four about Dumbledore's visit to Privet Drive and Slughorn's temporary home, I assumed Dumbledore was just quirky and odd. However, after I read in chapter 22 what Harry's experience was like under the effects of Felix Felicis, I realized that's exactly what Dumbledore used to ensure the Dursleys cooperated with his request to allow Harry to return. Sirius's will would have effectively conveyed number 12 Grimald Place to Harry, and Slughorn would return to teaching at Hogwarts. Dumbledore acts very undursley-ish and is practically begging the Dursleys to expel both of them from the house. And he spends most of his time at Slughorns in the bathroom and then says he knows a lost cause when he sees one. Those are not the typical <laughs> ways a person would try to get what they want. There's no flattery or begging. He doesn't even really ask Slughorn to come back. Slughorn just assumes it and discusses it with Harry. On the very first page of Chapter 5, Mrs. Weasley expresses surprise that they arrived in the middle of the night. Dumbledore replies, we are lucky. And when Slughorn teaches the first day of potions class, he already has a bottle of Felix Felice's brood, although I doubt he carried it with him or had the ingredients to brew it while on the run. I believe Dumbledore had brewed it and only used enough for a few hours luck. So this kind of crazy, but for me, it explains chapter three a little bit. Yeah, definitely a crackpot theory that seems possible, but I think the elements that Beth explains can be... Uh, explained otherwise. Like, for example, the Dursleys cooper cooperating with Dumbledore. 
they cooperated because they were scared of him. They knew he had the upper hand. They could do whatever he could do whatever he wanted. But to maybe them. that's and they've let him come back every year. So oh, why would yeah, this so is a sure thing. I think that. Um, but maybe the Felix is what told Dumbledore to be so aggressive. Because this this is not like normal Dumbledore, right? Like he's we just talked about how he's a little bit more yeah. aggressive. And between this chapter and the next one, where he frankly just disappears to go to the bathroom or whatever. Like, it's a very strategic exit, and I think we all know it's a strategic exit. So the question becomes, you know, is there evidence to suggest he was under Polyjuice, or under Felix, um, both in this chapter and the next one? Maybe maybe Dumbledore is more aggressive because he just, you know, the clock is ticking. He doesn't have much time to screw around anymore. Like, I need to get stuff done and quickly. I don't have time for this nonsense anymore. Look, you're going to help, and that's that. Yeah. You're going to do this for me. Yeah. And then in terms of Slughorn eventually coming around to becoming, uh, to joining Hogwarts, I think Slughorn, and we've probably discussed this before, Slughorn just, he 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 wants to feel, he, he wants purpose again. He wants to do something. Yeah. And Dumbledore knew that he wouldn't be able to resist trying to collect Harry, which is why he brought Harry with him and kind of explains right. why he disappears as well. Right. But I do like the theory. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. It is crackpot. That is a great crackpot theory. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you have any questions or comments about Half-Blood Prince Chapter 4, send them in, mugglecast.gmail.com. We also have a contact form on the website. Uh, you can also call our voicemail line with the question. We might play it on the air, one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. We'll also try to do another Patreon question at patreon.com slash mugglecast um i'm enjoying this so far it's it's fun revisiting this book yeah it's a good book it's uh only gonna get better so that's even cooler yeah and i'm realizing maybe this is one of my favorite books because i've enjoyed the three chapters thus far and analyzing them Mm -hmm. glad to hear it time for some quizage last week's question was what piece of muggle technology did harry fix that he relies on in chapter three the answer is an alarm clock. I guess Harry took a piece, uh, took a page out of Arthur Weasley's book and has taken to repairing muggle uh, electronic components. Don't know how he did it uh, without using magic, but maybe he's just gifted. The answer was the alarm clock, and the people who got the correct answer and submitted it to us over on Twitter include Sean Brady, Andrea F., Joe T., Ruthie, Hannah, Aiden, Karen, Jessica, Count Ravioli, Aaron Duffy, Muggle Zoologist, Robin, Danielle, Becky, Lauren, Charlie, Home Chicky, Sarah, Lara, Brigham, Jason, Tommy, and Olivia. Um, congratulations to all the winners uh, who got that question right. This is a game we play over on Twitter, and during the chapter-by-chapter chapter episodes, we are basing each question off the upcoming chapter, the one we have not read yet. So, next week's question is based on Chapter 4 of Half-Blood Prince, Question is, who gave Ambrosius Flume his first job thanks to Slughorn? Slughorn's only too happy to boast about this, so pretty easy to find. Completely forgot about this character, Ambrosius Flume. You know what bothers me is, were you at the, it was a Harry Potter trivia night in Chicago where they did faces from the movies uh, and asked us to name the characters. And they took a still shot of the back of Honeydukes, like 
a random background, like two second shot of Honeydukes. And the answer was supposed to be that the guy in it was Ambrosius Flume. He's never mentioned by name in the movie, so I call oh my. BS. They took an I hate when they do that. Yeah, they took an extra and said that that was Ambrosius Flume, the proprietor of Honeydukes. Right. Ugh, so annoying. And, and part of the problem with that is these quiz masters tend to actually not know Harry Potter, which can be really frustrating. Like they'll mispronounce names or like if you try to challenge them, they won't have an answer to something like they're just kind of doing their job, which is hosting a trivia night. But everybody there is a huge Harry Potter fan. So it's kind of like an awkward situation. I will never forgive and I will never forget. (laughs) But Ambrosius Flume is apparently, you know, an extra in the background of Funny Duke. So. There we go. Allegedly, sure, sure, man. Yeah, Whatever you sure, say, man. but nobody's gonna know that. Yeah, but we people will know who gave him his first job. So send us uh, your Quizich replies via Twitter. Twitter at us at MuggleCast. There you go. So next week um, we will do Chapter Four of Half Blood Prince, pending any major breaking news that happens. Um, but also, I want to have my boyfriend on the show because he visited the Wizarding World of Harry Potter for the first time a few days ago with me, and I thought it'd be interesting to talk about uh, first time going into the Wizarding World with so much to do. Like, we've always spoken about it from the from the perspective of, oh, Hogsmeade is open, okay, and then, oh, Diagon Alley is open, okay. But what's it like going into it, you know, experiencing this entire huge Wizarding World for the first time, and he's a huge Harry Potter fan, and also... He's the only person playing Hogwarts Mystery, as far as I can tell. <laughs> and he's, like, addicted to it. So we'll talk about that as well. We'll finally get a good review of that game on the show. Did we just did the whole episode should just be interviewing your boyfriend about... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all good stuff. First time and only time. Yeah, I thought it'd be interesting. Kendra, thanks for joining us today. It was nice having you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was super fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, it was good. And uh, you write some Harry Potter stuff over on hypable some good reads over there so thanks for your help there as well um yeah so a couple plugs to wrap up the show here our website mugglecast.com gives you everything you need to stay up to date on this podcast don't forget to follow and like us on facebook.com slash mugglecast and twitter.com slash mugglecast and also we would love your support at patreon.com slash mugglecast you will get lots of bonus content you can listen to us record the show on saturday or sunday of every week so you kind of get early access to each episode and you can chime in as we're recording so you can kind of uh you know you can be a part of the show we also give you early access to show notes. We have our, our exclusive Facebook group, which is a lot of fun. Um, we do the physical gift every year, hashtag mugs, and the bonus MuggleCast segments. We just got that new one up, Eric's panel at LeakyCon about the Grangers, the Granger parents. So uh, I think that's that. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Kendra. See you everybody next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.